When life throws you a curveball, how are you going to handle adversity? Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast, where you're about to go on a journey as I interview security, business, and entertainment leaders on what it takes to stay fearless. I'm your host, Mark Ludlow, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast. Yeah, I know I'm sitting at my table today. We have a different setup and an amazing guest as well. Welcome, Elena, to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to be and here. And if you guys don't know who Elena is, I'm sure you know who Dean Stott is. Well, this is his wife, the better half. Yes. And so she's joining us here in Irvine at the studio. And uh, we decided to not do the table day, but do more something comfortable because this is what they do on their podcast. So I'm like, hey, why not? Let's sit in some chairs and relax. Works. It works. <laughs> but we are here... Uh, to make a big announcement on her behalf that she has a new book coming out. Actually, she has how many books she have now? Out? Um, so, well, there's five this year altogether. So, three children's books, a business book, and memoirs book. Whoa! So, so can you guys do that? Probably not. <laughs> That's why she's doing it. Now, <laughs> <laughs> raising the level of uh, just the mindset behind Elena. And why she does what she does. And she has this amazing book out called How to Ask for Money. And I think this is going to be a big deal. It is a big deal because she wrote it. And she highlights amazing things about how to ask for money. And I hate doing that. I used to be a sales guy. And I'm like, whoa, I think I need to read that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Asking for money is up there, I think, in the top 10 of people's greatest fears. Um, So... And I hadn't actually realized that because I've been asking for money since I was a little girl, you know, raising money for sponsored famines or whatever. So I've always asked asked for money. So um, a business colleague of mine had told me that asking for money was within people's greatest fears. So I said, you know, I, I don't find it difficult. I spoke to him. And then after that conversation, I was like, maybe I should write this down to help people because it is an important factor some of the greatest people have the greatest ideas, the greatest missions, the greatest causes, but they can't get financed because it's a fear. I had to put that next to the fear of speaking in public too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they all actually combine, you know, the fear of speaking in public, this fear of asking for money, it's all to do with the great unknown. Mm-hmm. And what is that? What is waiting for me on that stage? What is waiting? So, what my book does, although it is called How to Ask for Money, it really goes into all those things. Um, we talk about identifying motivations and about fear and how we can address our fear. Because I think if we could, you know, everyone has fear, doesn't matter who it is, we've got fear. But if we can address that fear, work out what is happening and and try and counteract the, the nerves that a stage brings, um, I felt like this book will give you the best chance to overcome them. So in this book, I've not read it, folks. So that's why I'm asking her the questions because I've yet to read it and I will read it. But there's so many people in the space that I work in security. They, they're they like good field agents, mm-hmm. you know, the men and the women out there that are good agents. But once you get in the industry for a little while, you're starting to ask to do contracts and stuff like that. It's a different animal running a business. Mm-hmm. And I, I've found me running my own security company, 
I'd say 90% of people are good field agents, but you know, there's a 5% of them that they're, they're trying, they're, they're failing really hard and getting back up again yeah. and again, trying to figure out how they're running a business. Yeah. The, the easiest way to, you know, I have worked with some of the greatest people in the industry, um, in the security industry, and I've seen their companies fail because the management of the money isn't there. Um, and it's, especially in the world of security because the value of what you guys do is life that is that is what it is so when what do you how do you put a value on life how do you put that on and and i speak about that in great detail in the book you know i work with special forces and and people from around the world that have done incredible things and then i could walk into their office and they've got maybe five to 10 unsent invoices or they're unsure how to put a value on that invoice. Right. And then you'll talk through it and you'll say, look, what is it you've done? Okay, I went and rescued a CEO from a kidnap situation in Colombia. Okay, so what would have happened if you hadn't done that? Well, he'd have been killed. What happens then? Well, the company goes down, his family are out of, out of the home they're in, you know, his employees are all out of business. When you start adding up the value that way, right? Okay, so how much is it worth that you saved him? But it's very difficult to do after. It's very difficult to go in there and say, right, I want you to pay this bill after you're already safe. Um, so I always say to Dean, he's not out the door until that invoice is paid. And for him, that mindset is super difficult because this person needs saved. I need to go and save this person. But to me, this is your business and you have to understand your own worth and your own value. And if you can't do that, have somebody else that will do it for you. Have have an employee that will make sure that that's paid before you go anywhere. And I suck at numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I hated numbers and math in college. I hated, I think, algebra. Yeah. <laughs> and I just didn't. What I found from my going from my Marine Corps experience, you have to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you are at different mm -hmm. things. <clears throat> and luckily enough, I found a few people on my team that are really good at Google Sheets, really yeah. good at spreadsheets and numbers and like i'm horrible yeah if i had to do it by myself i would probably be in a negative right now but you're so right i mean people know how to run a business but they don't even know how to do invoicing yeah and I, I think understanding finance i've i've worked in finance since i was was young it was something that i've always enjoyed working with is numbers that was always my thing i loved maths in school i loved accounting in school um and I love a spreadsheet as well. Dean will tell you, I do love a spreadsheet. <laughs> so um, I mean, we had a, a client once who came to us and again, they didn't understand money. They were um, from a prominent family. You know, they were, they were receiving quotes for security and they were like, these quotes are so varied. Why are they so varied? Anything from like 2 million to 6 million, you know, so... Some days put a high value and some days put a low value. Mm -hmm. Why are they so different for the same service? Um, is one better than the other? Is a person better than the other? Um, I can't determine that. But what I can do is look at it and see where their figures are, are, where the average industry amounts are, where they could save. I'm not saying go with the, the cheaper one. I'm not saying go with the more expensive one either. Mm -hmm. One or the other doesn't mm -hmm. reflect the level of service you're going to get. Um, and that is almost automatically in those kind of worlds. Well, this guy's obviously better because he's charging five times as much. Mm -hmm. But we all know that the guy who's probably charging less has probably got more experience, just doesn't know how to, to charge. That's a big good point. Really. Yeah. So I, I kind of try and say that when I'm speaking to the guys to say, look, 
is this guy charging five times as much as you better than you? Mm. No. Okay, so you need to understand that when a rich person sees that, they think he's better than you because he's charging more. So mm, never thought about that. That's true. You need to get up there. And and understanding your value is is a tricky thing to do. But I, I always get people to tell me what it is that makes them worth anything. Mm -hmm. And when you start adding those things up and seeing, well, there is people that do this, but they don't do this. There is people that do this, but they've never done this before. And the experience and everything else comes together and actually you're valuable. Very valuable. <clears throat> I don't think a lot of people get that concept in the United States, especially in business. It's almost like, yeah, they're a good build agent, but they don't understand even their value of what to charge the client. Yeah. And they're charging them unarmed prices or whatever, and they just don't get it. And I think this is why many people in the audience need to pick up this book to understand the mindset behind that and having the, the ability to do that and hire the right people to do that. Another thing I want to t touch on is you are receiving an award in England on something. Can you tell mm. the audience about that award? Uh, yeah. So I go back in July to collect my MB, which is member of the most excellent order of the British Empire. It sounds a bit, it sounds a bit well, but it's, um, it was awarded for my services to vulnerable women and mm. mental health awareness. That was oh, wow. what the award was for. So the mental health awareness was, um, as you've heard about Dean's bike ride, we raised um, $1.3 million for that. So that money all went to mental health mm. causes. So we worked in that arena. It wasn't just about raising money. It was about working with the 11 nonprofits we worked with and learning a lot about mental health. And there's a huge list of things that we achieved during that time. And I guess the waterfall effect. So I guess that was that side of it. And then the vulnerable women is my work within um, human trafficking and supporting sexual abuse and um, a number of other things in the field of helping women. And Thank the you. Can you present that to you? Yeah. Yeah. I go to wow. Holyrood Palace in Edinburgh for that. I don't know if any, I've ever met anybody in my life that's accepted an award from a king. And you'll be the first guest to do that. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like the Queen maybe, but um mm -hmm. Oh really? The Queen give you an award? No, not the Queen, uh, but I'm saying there's a lot of awards given by the Queen. I think oh, yeah, that's true. this is his first set of awards that he'll be he'll wow. be given, yeah. That'll be in July. Yeah. Whoa, check that out, folks. That's <laughs> so cool. Thank you. Thank Congratulations. You. I know you have a heart for human trafficking women that have been human trafficked all over the world and you have you're there's this part of you that did, does a lot of philanthropy for that and help them out. Yeah, that was actually my reason for getting into close protection in mm, the first place okay. was uh, back in 2010 when the Haiti disaster hit, I was approached by a friend of mine. I mean, I was always in the field um, of, of working with abuse survivors and anything to do with that arena um, since I was, I was young. But when I was, I learned a lot more about trafficking. And then in 2010, when Haiti hit, she approached and she said that when I... Basically, when a natural disaster hits, uh, it's it's a big time for traffickers to move mm -hmm. in because kids are orphaned, there's vulnerable people around, so they'll move in quite quickly. So they'd already moved in and started setting up the orphanages. These are like under five-year-old orphanages set up for mm -hmm. trafficking hubs. She needed to go in to help these kids and there was a price in her head. You know, straight away, the traffickers put a price in envy trying to help. So, and it was like $5 to kill this woman. That was it. So she needed protection. And I called everyone I knew and 
nobody would do it for less than like big bucks. Wow. And I was like, this, this can't be right. This, and, and people would say, well, like, you know, the whole value thing, this is our job, Alana. They're like, well, this is what we do. Um, we can't just do it for free. So I, I said to Dean, I need to be able to do that for free if somebody asks me to do it. So let's train. Um, Dean was um, medically retired now out in the military. So we approached uh, this this company called Anubis, which was run by Ginger Johnson, who was an ex um, SAS guy from like he trained the Mujahideen back in the seventies and stuff. Really wow. cool guy. Um, so he took us on to a course, and it was a four week residential course. So it was a really intense, intense course where it was it was awesome. You were you were, you learned everything, mm-hmm. um, and Ginger was pretty amazing because he would he would actually take me aside and, and show me things that the other guys maybe uh, didn't need to know as much as what a woman in the field would know. And I was, any course that I've done, I've done my close protection, I've done my ship security, company security. Um, I generally am probably, there has been other women, but I'm the only non-military one that's that, that I ever see. So that's always a little bit different um, pros and cons of that as well. So you're like the Mrs. James Bond. <laughs> yeah, could be. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Dean Stanton, Elena, James Bond, Mrs. James Bond. Yeah, and, and uh, our three little baby Bonds. Oh, the baby Bond. Congratulations on the new one. Oh, thank you. How old is, how, is it he or she a girl? She. She's she, uh, eight months now. Eight months old. Yeah. You have them, they start growing. Yep, Still. fast, fast, fast. She's trying to walk right now, so she's... How do you do it? <laughs> I mean, you have like five different, three different businesses going on. You're, you're, you're backing Dean when he's out on the field doing his thing, running the business from behind. I mean, how do you do it all? What's your secret to the success you're having? What is, what power? You know, I, I, I've, I've been raised to just never be idle, I guess. I think Mm -hmm. that, um, I make it work and we're a really cool family. Like the, the, the kids always fit in, you know, Molly, when Molly was born, she's our eldest we were getting into um, maritime security. So that was more a thing. So she used to come to yacht shows with us. She'd come to security shows. You know, Harley was at the shot show in January, four months old. Right. Great attra- she was a great attraction. <laughs> um, and if anybody's nervous about asking for money, by the way, bring a baby. Everybody wants to talk to you. <laughs> you know, bring the baby bring along. The baby. Everyone nice. talks. Um, That's smart. So yeah, we've just made it work. You know, yeah, it it's works. sometimes it's hard, but it's it's also about having a good support network. I've got mm. some good friends and I've got good people around me when I need it too. So And Dean's gone a lot. Yeah. He's always traveling. You're back there holding the fort down, holding the house down, managing the household. Yeah. And that's I mean, for Dean to have that type of loyalty from you <clears throat> and you guys have each other's back, even though he's gone providing for the family and all that, that's 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 very powerful. Yeah. It's you know, it's a if anybody who's in the military or offshore workers, you know, whatever it might be, that you do have a cycle where you, you know, the, the he comes home, you have your your kind of honeymoon period, then you're you're in it and you're settled in, then you're preparing from going away again, and then he goes away, and then we've kind of lived that life for for fourteen years now. It's I'm not I'm not definitely not saying it's easy because you do. I'm sure any woman who does it right now would would recognize that you live a single life as a married person. So mm-hmm. what I mean is you you can't go to couples events because he's never really here, but you're not single. So you can't be doing singles events that people are doing. You're still, mm-hmm. you know, wife and mum at home. So you are living this interest in life. But the only way that it works is if you're both in it together and you're, mm-hmm. and you're both um, 
understanding of what each other does and that's the way that we've always lived it so how would you describe your personality differences dean and i yeah um i'm the calm one you're the calm one <laughs> yeah um he's dean dean would probably be more reactive than me i'm mm, i'm okay. very quiet i'd say i'm the introvert he's the extrovert i um i listen a lot he talks a lot <laughs> <laughs> He's good. But, he's yeah, he's great. At, and actually, do you know it works? I write books. I um mm -hmm. I I love writing. That's my thing. But when it comes to maybe promoting the books, mm -hmm. I'm a lot quieter. Um you could get me talking till the cows come home about human trafficking or about mm -hmm. uh, helping people, but talking about myself or what I do is a little bit less comfortable for me. What um is that? It's just not a subject that I think that is is not that it's not that interesting, but I'd rather be talking about things that are mm. are doing world changes and stuff than specifically talking about about me. Um, I'm, I'm the same way. People ask when I ask, you know, my Marine Corps background. I was in the Marine Corps. Yeah, it's like I think maybe it's a humility thing. Yeah, it's it's I I I, I was raised by a Scottish family, and, and in Scotland we don't brag. Uh, like it's not okay. it's not a a thing that you do. It's really almost like uncouth to be okay. uh, proud of yourself, which is not a positive, you know, you should mm. be proud of yourself and you mm. should be. And definitely since moving to America, I've become better at it. Like it's if we'd had this, change. yeah, if we'd had this conversation when I still lived in Scotland, I'd just be silent here, just let you talk about it and I'd probably be like <laughs> hiding somewhere. Um, but I think mm. the books that I write are all about something, about helping people or about making some sort of change. So. I had to get to the point where I realized it was important to mm, speak okay. and to and to get it out there. So, um, but yeah, it works. I mean, we've been to like book shows and Dean will just stand there and promote the books and talk about it. And I'll stand there quietly and let them. Um, and it just, it just works really well. So the, you're the extrovert, he's an introvert. Or is he uh, Either way, he's the extrovert, I'm the introvert. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. The brain, the, you're the writer, the creative side. And then if you guys don't know this yet, she Who Dares is her next book coming out. Yes. And I don't know if you can see that, but that's the next. What 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 is what's the content of that one about? So Relentless was was Dean's book that we wrote about. Um so this is about his life and his journey through life and then the bike ride, et cetera, et cetera. Um when his book came out and he done a lot of speaking, people would say, When's Alana's book coming out? And I'd always been writing almost like a journal, I guess, a on journal. my life, yeah. Okay. Um, so I thought, yeah, well, why not? But then as we were writing it, I w I've obviously read Relentless and I was like, this is my story, but it's in his book, but it's from my version. And so a lot of the stories are the same story. It's just, it is two different versions because it's from two different perspectives. So you can read both books about the same story, but it's two different perspectives on that story. And... It's a book about my childhood. Um, it's about um, sexual assault. It's about overcoming adversity. It's about life with Dean, challenges. It's got a number of things in it. But um, what's really interesting is when Dean read the book, there was a lot of it that he didn't know. And there was a lot of parts of it that he didn't know in the, in the way that, that he read it. And it's actually one thing that I would probably say recommend to any couple is read each other's life stories because you mm -hmm. do see a different perspective absolutely yeah wow 
And for the audience, if you're listening to this, you try to figure out what Elaine is about. She's about she's the machine. She's the the mind behind the books. She has the creative side to her, and she's also a bodyguard. And she just I don't know if you caught that in the in the podcast, but she's also a certified woman, a lady bodyguard, a professional female. How do they? Uh, we call it close protection officers. Close um, protection officer. Okay. Yeah, I think they, they say bodyguard for the movies, I think. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. good, good call. Good yeah. catch. Um, so, you know, a protection officer to me, I'm not, as I say, I'm not military, I'm not special forces, I'm not, you know, some mixed martial arts expert. Um, it's about intelligence to me. I mm-hmm. I do everything I can to avoid any bad situations. So... Everything is about foresight and and seeing issues before they ever come up. Um, and a lot of it is a lot of what I do, especially now that I've got kids and it's it's about advisory work. So I um, do vulnerability assessments, check on personal service. But to be honest, most of my work is centered towards the kids and families. So I do a lot of online protection and just keeping kids safe. That's, that's, and, uh, you know, whether it be university travels and, and just doing travel advisory stuff mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So that's, and I think that's probably what I enjoy because I know that that is a huge worry for families. And it's, mm, it you know, an important part is keeping yeah, I'm them sure safe. You know, many royal, royal families from Britain over there. I'm sure you have a lot of contacts that have asked you. Do do due diligence and do online protection for them and all that. Like you said, protective intelligence. Yeah. Um, so I'm an ambassador for CEOP, which is the Child Exploitation Online Protection, mm. um, which is part of the NCA in the UK, mm. which is your FBI here. It used to be SOCA in the UK. It's now the NCA. It's a national crime agency. Um, and it's an online training course that I can train other people wow. to then be able to train other people um, to just be safe online. So I can do it from, I could train parents, I could train teachers, but I can also teach the kids. So we can talk about with with teenagers and I can talk about with young ones about what to look out for, what to see. And I think that um, I'm really open about rather than, the, the best way that I would ever describe it is think about the play park when we were kids, you know, when the guy with the flasher jacket was there, we told our parents, the police came, we got rid of them and the playground was safe again. Um, we didn't take the kids out of the playground and stop them from going. We got rid of that guy, you know, that's how we done it. Um, so the internet, when we're telling our kids to be safe online, the, the solution isn't to ban them from it or to take them away from it if there's a problem. The solution is to make sure that they're safe and they alert us when the guy mm-hmm. with the flasher max there. So the way that I um, teach kids is that they'll to be open with their parents. And then I teach the parents how to receive that openness because that's your moment in time. You've got that one time to not react, to listen, to understand, and then to deal with it. Um, and I've got a, a daughter, she's 12 soon, and she's been approached three times on the internet. And you can imagine me and Dean are very, very safe. So if they can get to her, wow. they're getting to your kid for wow. sure. That's so crazy. Social media, Instagram. Yeah. All these different channels. Well, I think there's something like, now don't quote me on okay. this because I'm not up to date, sure. but it's like three to 7,000 new apps opening up every day. Um, wow. And I could, I do this exercise a lot with parents where I say, what apps are your kids on? And they'll do that Instagram, mm-hmm. TikTok. And then I'll do the same with the kids okay. and they'll maybe be like 10. Wow. And most of which the parents don't know about. So 
it's kind of just having that chat with them and understanding what they're on and that they're going to probably download something new every day and then there's a new version coming out and there's and there's constant different ways for people to get access to your kids. And the best way I see it is they'll always have access. You could put as many privacies and as many protections. They'll find a way, but it's just important. And when they do come, your kid comes to you and tells you that they've come. Can you help me deal with this now? Wow. And there's so many different ways that predator can get a hold of the kid. And mm -hmm. I've, I've been hearing that there's something going on through Instagram where people, uh, or maybe a Snapchat, I don't know, but I hear there's people trying to set up co um, meetings that, you know, McDonald's or whatever, off, just off of Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Out. I mean, I think for, for, for Molly, she's pretty switched on. So the kind of handsome looking 13 year old kid that's the profile picture with mm -hmm. lots of pictures on there of, of him in different locations to make it look genuine messages and says, you know, you're super cute. I'd love to meet up sometime. You know, Molly just laughs and is like, mom, really? like, look, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. But, you know, you could imagine the 12 year old kid that's getting zero attention from her parents that learns everything from her peers that doesn't know to isn't you tech savvy is maybe yet and especially if she's been told that she's not allowed on that app and she's now on this app this guy's contacted her you're not going to tell mom and dad because i'm not even meant to be on this app that's it that's how it's happening so the predators are on the apps oh gosh yeah 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 like, they're on there, there must be an underground network they communicate in or something is it for the trafficking I, side i mean you could be an you could go and set up an account today with a fake profile picture and attract whoever you want to that account um mm -hmm. there is dark webs of course there's dark webs and i do do um courses on that too so mm -hmm. but even just the the basic what we're all on there's right. plenty of ways for them to get to them Crazy. on that as well and then they move them to the dark webs where you're definitely not going to be able to find them as as a layman parent so you want to you want them coming to you while they're still somewhere that you can you can do your searches, but um, and like there's a million other things that they're doing: sextortion, there's mm -hmm. um, bribery, there, and you know it's causing serious things, suicides, etc., are happening because of these practices that these people are doing. So it might not be mm -hmm. um, a sexual thing; it might be money. Right. There's all sorts of things that are happening. Photos are being shared, images that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if your child shares an image with someone, mm -hmm. the child is the one committing the crime because they're sharing the the images, and then that threat will be used against them. That they're Crazy. now a criminal, so That's you insane. need to send more. Yeah. Wow. But I think the only for for me, it, the threats are out there everywhere. They're Communication right. is everything. It Make is. your kid come to you with everything. Wow. And I think that media does just justice for what you guys are doing. They're, they're highlighting the Mexico border 24-7, all the human trafficking. That's just a fraction of it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. You see, like, we've got traffickers coming in from Mexico, and we've got this happening in this country, and this happening in this country. It's like, no, it's here. It's happening here. There's people on your doorstep doing it. It's mm -hmm. happening in UK, Canada. Um, Globally. There's not one country that escapes slavery mm, or human trafficking it's it's a big business and it's about supply and demand you know mm. so um if it's basic economics if there's a demand there's going to be a supply if there's a higher demand they need yeah. to create more supply it's it's a constant turnaround so um especially at super bowl any sporting event yeah and, and i guess with the sporting events that's where we can highlight it 
mm. more because the sporting events are going to um, attract that supply and demand. But I, what what's difficult about the sporting events is it gets the attention, then it goes quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, it should be a 24-7 attention everywhere, schools, Absolutely. everywhere. Like we should be talking about it. Trafficking doesn't get as much, um, and, you know, if you were to sit Molly down here, she's not scared of trafficking. She's she's just educated in it. Educated she's not. Exactly. I don't raise my kids to live in a life of fear. Um, they live in if if you know their their hotel. Say for example, they walk into a hotel room. Molly's always responsible for the door lock. She puts the the um wow. the doorstop underneath the door to make sure it's, it's safe. But it, never in a fearful way. She's just been trained to do she's that all her life. Yeah, family, mom and dad, or this yeah. Life. They love, they have fun, like they count the number of doors to the fire exit. So if there was a fire, yeah, it's their little fun thing to do. Um, You know, so if there was a fire in the middle of a hotel in the middle of the night, you need to know how to get out and you can't see. So counting the doors is their little fun thing to do. And then they'll give me the answer (laughs) and I get to the room. So um, everything we do is about fun. And they check, and Tommy, when he gets on a plane, he checks his little safety sheet. He does his little (laughs) thing. But yeah, I wouldn't think if you spoke to my kids, they're ever Mm. scared. They're just... Aware. Confident. They're mm-hmm. aware of their awareness. Wow. We just covered human trafficking, sports, and, you know, and I know the Chilean, I was talking to an attorney friend of mine down in uh, San Diego yesterday. He told me about the new uprising of the Chilean gangs in Southern California. They're just taking over everything. Oh, really? And they're uh, really heavily involved in human trafficking as well. Yeah. I mean, trafficking is now the biggest business in the world. It's $150 billion a year. $150 billion? Yeah. And if I was to put that into context for you, the budget of the entire budget of the U.S. Marine Corps is forty-six billion. Whoa. So you're dealing with an industry that's three times the size of the U.S. Marine Corps. That's so crazy. Yeah, um, and I guess it's they are coming away from the drugs because if you get caught with heroin or cocaine, you're, you're going to go up. to jail. You're, you know, it's, it's happening. You're not going to be able to talk your way out of it. But if you mm-hmm. get caught with a girl in your car. There's a lot of ways to talk yourself out and she's probably not going to say anything either. So it's, mm, and, and she's worth just as much, if not more, as that kilo of cocaine that you've got there. And it's reusable. You know, mm-hmm. it is something that you can use a number of times and there's a lot of money to be made. Um, so trafficking of of women and children, especially, are is big budget. I had no idea. Wow. That's the GDP of some states. <laughs> that's wild. And that's who you're dealing with. So when you're dealing with an army of that size or uh, something of that size, it does take everybody to be aware and to be fighting. It. And mm-hmm. I think this is why I kind of always harp on about it because awareness is everything. Mm-hmm. It's understanding what trafficking looks like and understanding what to look out for and understanding what you're funding and what you're not funding. And that's all. Just mm-hmm. being aware and, and, and being able to help other people can end this, but it's going to take a worldwide. Wow, that's wild. Just, uh, it's the things that nobody wants to talk about. Yeah. It's it's a business that's been running since the dawn of time. You know, the, mm-hmm. the Mesopotamia's uh, days had, had slaves. We've always had slaves. There's always been the mm-hmm. buying and selling of people since the start of humanity. So are we going to be able to end it? I think we'd have to change how humanity thinks before we can Mm -hmm. fully end it. But I think we can do a lot more. You know, there's more slaves now than any other time in history. So interesting. um, That's that's profound. 
There's mm -hmm. more slaves than any time in any history. Other there's 46 million slaves estimated in the world at the minute. Um, and it's not a race thing. It's not, uh, it's, you know, it's nothing to do with anything other than power and money. That's, that's, wow. that's what it is. So, um, wow, wow. I think it's important to, to understand that scale of it and that it's not something that's kind of confined to history or statues or whatever it's happening today right now. And that's what you're most passionate about. Yeah. And I think just Mm -hmm. awareness to, to have people to, mm -hmm. to understand where to see it you know if if you're in a, a nail salon getting your nails done for like ten dollars there's a good chance that that person's not being paid properly so just keeping your eyes open to these types of things can and you'd categorize it maybe slave labor at that situation. yeah so you do have so there's domestic servitude there's forced labor there's sexual slavery and there, there's organ harvesting as well which is mm -hmm. um also big business so there's a number of different areas obviously my my passion does run for fighting sexual slavery which is something that um i'm obviously vehemently against and want to fight constantly but mm -hmm. all all of it funds it so if we can get rid of all of it exactly. you know things like pay people a fair wage mm -hmm. um and I think the, the the world we live in right now is very much about instant gratification. We Absolutely. want it all and we want it now. There's no waiting for anything Nothing. anymore. Most impatient people live in America. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and we are entitled. We believe that we should get it all right now. Um, there should be no waiting. That mentality has funded the trafficking world hugely because... Never thought about that. Where's your package from Amazon coming? How quickly does this need to be made? You know, my great auntie Molly, she would be 99 this month. Um, she died a couple of years ago, but you went to her wardrobe. She had this little wardrobe with like three pairs of trousers, um, a couple of winter tops, a couple of summer tops, one winter jacket. Well, you know, she had this little wardrobe. And I would say, do you want me to get you some new clothes? And she said, I don't need new clothes. That's This is all I need. I've got enough clothes for mm. where now we've got like new clothes coming in Amazon every day. Like these have to be made somewhere. They have to be, somebody's mm -hmm. making this demand, keeping up with this demand. We don't need all the stuff that we've got. And when we're buying it, somebody's making it and somebody's making it super cheap to make sure you're getting it for super cheap. So. Wow. Yeah, you're right though. Instant gratification is a big, it affects the, the younger kids. They're just programmed by, you know, the WhatsApp threads and whatever social media they're on. They're just boom, boom, boom. And they're just yeah. swiping. Yeah. And my nieces and nephews, they're, they're, they got to get that phone. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think we give it to them a lot, I think, as well, because we work on our history. I was chatting with my daughter the other day and I was speaking about the very first pair of Levi jeans that I ever bought. And I remember working the whole summer. I was 12. Mm -hmm. um, I was working in this cafe and I worked every single day to, to raise this money to be able to buy these jeans because my other friends had had, je had these mm -hmm. jeans. And I remember working the summer and then as it was finished, I had enough to go and buy them. I walked into the store, I bought the jeans and I was just so like, look, I mean, we're still talking about it now. I was so proud of buying those jeans. Mm -hmm. Whereas now it's like Amazon and they're there later on that day. And we're buying it. We're buying it for the kids. And I said to Molly, you'll never know that feeling if you don't earn it yourself. Right. Um, so we, we really try and push that with the kids is, is let them have that feeling. It's a cool feeling to have.